This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. You gotta see the baby. When are you gonna see the baby? Family Matters. Welcome to another Family Matters podcast. I'm Beck. I'm here with Gina. It's fun to be back again, isn't it, Gina? It's, well, two weeks in a row. I know. We're obviously enjoying it. Oh, look. I think it's the guests, not us. I think it is the guests. It's it's definitely not us. But we have another wonderful guest today. Our guest is a writer, a trainer, a mother, a wife, an advocate, and I'm sure I've missed about 47 other things. Jack Tomlins, welcome. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. With all those things, I'm glad you found some spare time. I know. For us. Well, it's a Sunday. It's isn't a very it, really? early Sunday moment, morning. I'll be saying that. Yep, Sunday morning. But <laughs> nice to be in the city on a Sunday. Now, Gina, just before we started, yes. you were mentioning another role that Jack has, really, yes. which is the godmother of all rainbow families. Oh, she's the gaby baby godmother. Um, after the birth of our child, Jack's was away and didn't get a chance to visit. You were in Canada, I think, at the time. I think so, yeah. And then you did come and uh, visit little baby Harper, and my partner described it to other people as the gay godmother has come to visit Harper, and she's been blessed. I mean, she blessed you. I think she threw up on you. Uh, you quite did. possibly. Yeah, um, she did That is a, a very amusing story. <laughs> but it was, I think it's fair to say there's probably a lot of uh, rainbow families in Melbourne who didn't feel like they were official until they did get the Jack Tomlins I, I think we should probably move yes. on to something else at this stage. <laughs> With too much, too much blowing your trumpet, Jack. Well, look, we've said all these things about you. You you are a mother. You do have your own family. When you were younger, did you think that being a mum and being a wife and being a family was something that was going to be an option for you in your life? Well, when I was very young and I hadn't quite worked out that I was a lesbian, that took a little while. You're yes, yes, of course, I thought I would because um, I came from a family, quite a big family. There were four of us and um, I'm old-ish, don't need to go into details, but at that time, you know, that's what that was the expectation, that you would uh, get married and have kids. And for a long time, I imagined I would marry my friend Ian. So when I became a student and um, uh, at university, so before we both came out, <laughs> that, was, uh, that was kind of on the cards. Uh, so, yes, I did. And then when I, interestingly, when I came out when I was 24... Uh, in some way I still kind of thought I probably would have kids even though I recognised it would be a little bit more complicated and I didn't quite know how I would have kids but I think in the back of my mind I still thought I would. Well, it's interesting you say that you didn't know how because that was something that um, when we spoke to Jason Twizel McSheen the other day he, he said the same thing. He said it's not you know, the same way that it happens for for heterosexual people and you have to think about how to do it. Did you research it or how did you you realise how you could do it? Well, that is a very long story and I will make it shorter. Yes, we did. Actually, I remember we read an article in a Sunday magazine that referenced a clinic in Sydney because at that time, you will recall, as a Mm -hmm. single woman, as a lesbian, unmarried... Uh, unmarried in a heterosexual relationship, 
you could not access services in Victoria. So we had to go interstate. So we found out about this clinic through this magazine and I, I rang them. And in retrospect, we should have done more research because it was not a great clinic. Um, and we ended up, that was the beginning of a very long process for me of four years mm. of um, going through IVF and trying to get pregnant, both in Sydney, then in Albury-Bodonga, and then after the law changed at Melbourne IVF. You, you mentioned you should have done more research, but we need to remember the time. There was there really was very little out there. I had the research of reading guides that you were the author to, to not only go through the process, but to sit down with a known donor and talk about language and be on the same page with language. So a lot of the work that I needed to do to to tick all the boxes before I could even physically start, because we can now in Victoria, was reading guides that you had written. So can we remind people the year that this was kind of kicking off for you? Did we even have internet back then? No, no. Yeah. <laughs> we did not. Yeah. Um, look, where are we? Uh, my, my son, my oldest son, is almost 17. Mm. Um, and Sarah ended up having all three of our kids. So he's 17, add four years of, um, of trying mm. for me. And that gets you to what? To whatever date. Yeah. So I was um, 36 when I started. And... Absolutely, there was not very much about. And after I after I finished trying, and Sarah started, I I realised there was very little out mm. there. And um, so the books that were available were generally from overseas, okay. and some of them were relevant, some of them not. So the UK ones and the Canadian ones were kind of came closest. The American ones, totally different system. Mm. Um, and even those really, um, you know, did not provide the information that people needed. So in that time after I finished, uh, I think I was still processing everything that I'd mm. been through. I mean, I was, I was probably clinically depressed yeah. at the end of it. And um, <clears throat> I had already published a book, uh, something completely different. And I came up with the idea of writing a guide um, you know, how to make a baby in Australia currently. And that what I would do is I would write it for a broad audience if I was trying to get a publisher, um, but that I would insert a significant <laughs> chapter for lesbians and single women, yes. which did end up being the largest chapter in the book <laughs> and enabled me to put in all the information that I thought that uh, our community would need uh, if, when they wanted to start this journey. Was that first book, Jack, did that show you that there was a real need for information? Is that why you've kept sort of producing information? Yes, I think so. Um, we were near the start of that process of lesbian couples coming together to have kids as a lesbian couple. I think the oldest kids now are probably in the early 20s, mm. 22, 23. Mm. Um, so we were quite near the beginning of that. And there, as you say, there was, there was very little information and the clinics didn't know much, but nobody knew much. Mm. So it was really good to get that book out. And then since then, absolutely, um, I think it's one of the things that I see the need for. Um, and I'm a writer, so it's mm. just, you know, it's a bit of a gut instinct for me. And the 
the resource that I wrote next, which was a guide for Rembo families, came out of this idea actually of something that happened in the UK during the Second World War. It was called Mass Observation. And what they did is there was this group of three men, a little bit quirky, an academic, um, a psychologist, I think, an anthropologist. And they had this idea of observing the community. And it was in response to the fact that all the narrative and the propaganda didn't really speak to or represent the people. So they interviewed people. People kept diaries. Anyway, it's a lovely, I read about this, it's a lovely, lovely story. And I thought, wow, that is really cool. And I thought, wouldn't it be good if we could capture what it is like Mm. to be a rainbow family in this place at this time? As a, as a kind of archive, as a, as a history, as a resource. And then I thought, well, actually, what would be great is if we could then pass that on. If I could gather all the wisdom of all the people I know, and there were quite a few by this time, and I could bottle that wisdom, and then I could pass it on to the next generation, that would be very cool. And that's really what it is when you sort of read through it. It's people's snippets, mm. I guess, of stories. And and some of the things in there when I read it that, I mean, and check check my own heterosexual privilege, but I'd never thought of were things like how to talk to your school or how to, that's you know, right. talk to different community groups you interact with or Midwives doctors and that sort and of thing. That sort of stuff, yeah. And I can imagine that is invaluable for people in, going through that experience. That's right. So... What I thought about when I wanted to write something is that we were the experts. Mm. It's not like I'd go and interview a whole load of medical practitioners because they didn't know anything anyway. So the people who knew how to manage these situations, who had that lived experience, were people who I was connecting with every day. And so what I did, I conducted, I think it was like maybe 42 if I can remember correctly, very lengthy, detailed interviews, which I then transcribed. <laughs> um, and I, from, from that, I drew out the, the themes, the ideas, the struggles, the commonalities, and then put those into the resource. So I think there are, I can't remember how many different categories, a dozen at least. And what I wanted to do was to convey some really practical, day-to-day, useful information that rainbow families could use in, in their lives every day. And, and it was like that. It was, okay, here's, um, like, for example, Mother's Day and Father's yes. Day. Yes, I was going to say, this nightmare. Is, this is one of the talk. Uh, the, the resource we're talking about is a resource kit for rainbow families, outspoken families, uh, researched and written by Jack Tomlins. And it does. It has uh, Mother's Day and Father's Day, which is on page 51, uh, teasing and name-calling and bullying, um, rainbow families, the challenges, rainbow families, the rewards, like, you know, Telling the kids what, when, and how. This is the That's kind right. of <clears throat> topics you've got. When yeah, you, it was yeah. it was absolutely fundamental nitty gritty. Everything yeah. that, that you might Just have to use. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Um, and there was nothing out there. Um, and so with the with the. Mother's Day and Father's Day stuff, you know, that's an issue for rainbow families still, all the time. Yeah. And it still is. So I'm on these I'm on these websites now, I'm in these uh, you know, groups on Facebook now and it will come up 
um, somebody's got a kid in kinder yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and how do they do it? And, and quite often I will just I just go to my website and I'll copy that. <laughs> that It's only a short chapter. It is. And I will post it and say, hey, have a look at this. <laughs> because in there, it, you know, there's a dozen people who mm. have done this. That You yeah. know, we spoke to our, our kinder and they did this. This came up and this is how we managed it. And invariably the answers are there by people who have, you know, just been through it. So then they can go away, think about what's in there. And I, I completely it. forgot about this until Mother's Day approached at our childcare recent. Like I just, because we've been in such an inclusive space and some of this inclusivity comes from other parents that have gone through the school yep. um, who have made their way onto committees. It's a little joke that we've yep. talked about before. But a lot of it comes from all this good work. I couldn't be there for the actual breakfast that day. Harper came home with what they made for Mother's Day and I felt sorry for her because she had to make two things. Like they were so cute about it that they made her make these two art works and I was like oh poor kids having to slave away to make doubles of all this stuff which I kind of loved like it wasn't a discussion it was just so adorable. And often when you think through these things it's not hard. No. You know you just you don't get your card for the father and cross it out and put mother you just make two. Yeah. Like really, it's, really it's not it's rocket fun. science. I wasn't expecting to, no. but I when there we got go. to, I was like, Good solution. that's just adorable. <laughs> Jack, one fun. of the chapters um, that I find really interesting too is about telling the kids. Yeah. So it's, you know, there's a lot of books around about how to tell kids that a penis goes in a vagina, mm-hmm. but there's not a lot of books around to tell kids about how they were conceived if that's not how they were conceived. And, yeah. I, and I guess the other thing is, is with rainbow families, there's such a variation too of donors, known donors, egg donors, surrogates, yep. whatever it might be. What's some of the the issues or advice that came up in that area? The most important thing is to be honest, to tell your kids and to tell them early. Mm. And my kids wouldn't be able to tell you when they knew. <laughs> they would say that they just always did know. And I think that's really important and is one of the things that as a parent you are anxious about. And I remember for us, Sarah saying that she worried that when the kids found out and understood that I wasn't biologically related to them, that that might have an impact on our relationship Mm. and that she was really anxious about that for a long time. Wow. Yeah, I know. I didn't say it obviously at the time um but then of course that didn't happen at all you know not even an inkling it was just that when they were really little and we explained how uh how they were born and the relationships it was just like yeah okay that's fine and they don't know any different no No, that's right and interestingly we did i think our kids do tend to know earlier Mm. about the mechanics of how babies are made um and sarah tells this funny story of driving along with uh, with our kids in the car in the uh, in the back, you know, all the stories are always in the car because um, it's kind of quiet and controlled. And uh, with a couple of friends, and I think it might have been Scout explaining to the friends about how babies are made. <laughs> and that is that you know you go and see a nice man, a doctor, and um, you have a mummy, and uh, you but you need something from the from a donor called sperm. And so the donor gives the sperm and you go and see the doctor and the doctor puts the egg and the sperm together and then that goes back in Ema's tummy and that makes a baby. Brilliant. 
Um, and so Sarah thought... Spot on, actually. They just charge right. you a lot of money. Yeah, that's, that's right. And so Sarah suddenly realised that she hadn't actually told the kids that there are <laughs> other ways of making babies. Um, not just the kids in the back, it, but our a, kids. So then we had to go, that's right, okay, there is another way. And this is what that is. Um a lot of the stuff in the guide is sort of dealing with that everyday stuff as we talked about. Have you found that over the time, you know, the 17, 20 years that you've been having kids or trying yep. to have kids or whatever it might be, that the everyday challenges have got better or changed? Okay, that's a big question. Yes, it is much better. And I would say that... Probably the key thing that is different is the level of awareness in the community. Mm. And interestingly, in part, I think that came out of the marriage equality campaign because there was a lot of focus on our families by those Mm. who opposed us for that entire time, the think of the children, Mm. my children. What that did is it created an awareness that there are rainbow families. So when Sarah and I first started doing some advocacy and media around the legislation about IVF and fertility clinics. There were no there there was just no awareness and there was certainly very little in the media. So we used to get kind of calls saying, is there anybody who happy to be interviewed and they want a photo? And so there was a time when nobody would do that. And that seems really, you know, when you think about that now, when pictures of rainbow families are mm. turned a penny in the media, yeah. there was a time when that didn't happen. And in the end, I said to Sarah, poor Sarah's been dragged along <laughs> her entire life with this, let's do it. Let's just do it. And we did. Um, and now, of course, when a call goes around for media, yeah. fantastic. So hands up. you need to remember that, that is a huge shift over 20 years. You, I remember you um, discussing at one of your parties, there was a news crew that came through. and <laughs> Quite possibly. Can you, can you take us through? Because that was one of the first, I think, Australian kind of representations. Uh, it, television. It, for the news. Was, yeah, look, yeah, we, yeah. we did a few. We did have, um, and I can't remember which one. Sarah always says people used to know how many kids we had. By the articles they'd read in the newspaper. <laughs> you know, she'd see some colleague and, oh, you've got two now. And they'd be, oh, you've got three now. Um, yeah, we did have a news crew come in in the early days. And I have absolutely no recollection what it was for. But what I do remember <laughs> was that they came to the house and they want, they interviewed us, but they just wanted some general footage. So they said, you know, could you like make a cup of tea? Oh, so Lesbians drink tea. Probably. That's right. So it was okay. <laughs> This is what a lesbian looks like when a lesbian puts the kettle on. This is what a lesbian looks like. Stock footage for the years tea. on. That's right. That's right. So it was a whole thing. Lesbians make tea and then Love we had to – Sarah doesn't even drink tea, but then we had to <laughs> pretend to drink the tea. Um, so that was one. And the other one was we were out, I think it was in Treasury Gardens, and we were holding hands and just walking through the gardens. And that footage, it was like people used to say, oh, I saw you on the telly last night, Jack. And I go, what? 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 <laughs> and it would be stock footage. Yes. And it, I think it was like on speed dial and it would need some lesbians. Oh, yeah, yes. let's run that one. And we'd go Sarah and Jack walking, <laughs> holding hands in the gardens. Did you get any, like we know why people didn't put their hands up back then, but did you get any backlash? I mean, within your own kind of, 
in mm. networks and work people, they would have been fine. But was there any backlash at the shops or? Interestingly, very little. And I think uh, that was a message that I tried to put out over the years that when we did the media, when we did the newspaper articles or the TV, generally it was very positive. That's not to say we didn't have to manage it. You know, Sarah was Mm. working in a city law firm Mm -hmm. at, at the time when we first did that and she had clients that she'd meet on the front page of the age yeah she's got clients on monday um that was huge for me i was working for a long time in you know in organizations where you know student council or whatever at la trobe or um where i didn't have to deal with that so on the whole we we didn't get much negative comeback I think that where where we really struggled was more when I started to write articles and where people could comment yes. on mm. the articles. And there was one particular one I, I wrote, which wasn't that long ago, and there was a Catholic archbishop in WA who said some completely outrageous things, and I wrote a response to that. And that got really seriously trolled. Yeah. And uh, I didn't read it, but Sarah did. And at the end of that, she said, we're done. We're wow. done. We're done. No more. And so there's, a, I don't know how long it was, but I certainly is a year or so, year, maybe a couple of years, where I didn't write anything. And then the next time I did, I kind of came round and spoke to Sarah about it, and we agreed that I could, and it was in the age. And I explained this situation to the editor, and that, you know, our experience of being told. And the editor said, call Jack, that's fine. We'll just say no comments. Perfect. I thought, well, I wish I'd known that. (laughs) Um, So the piece was published and there were no comments, which was good. Um, So I think you can ask for that. And I haven't done that um, since. But I remember with that one particular article, and they were specifically referenced. I'd use the kids' names, oh. so they made comments about the kids, and it was yeah. like, whoa, okay, that's a little bit too confronting. Yeah. Um, and I think there was one with Steve Price, who was that, that chock oh, doc. Yeah. I yeah. think he had a spray about something that I'd written. So that was that was the more uh, difficult stuff that we had to manage. Mm. But interestingly, you know, putting yourselves out there, and what we got was this lovely affirmation from mm. all sorts of people. You know, our next door neighbour would come and say, "Oh, Jack, you know, lovely piece," <laughs> and saw that, or or one of you know someone that Sarah worked with, or random people, um, and people within the community. And it is good for us to be visible. Yes, um, this is my big, big current rant about. Uh, visibility and how important that is so having representations of us in the media was really valuable I think I think it's also important because when you're creating these resources and Becky was saying have have things changed I know as a new parent because of these resources because I know Jax has gone and trained midwives for example I actually expect better Mm. I I, if I get any behavior that is just shit I will react because I expect it to be better now. I think if my journey had started a while ago, I wouldn't – I would just get that, right, people aren't there yet. But the midwife training for me gave me quite 
a bit of comfort, knowing you'd gone and spoken to them yeah. and even hearing your responses to speaking to other midwives just helped me feel really safe in that space, whether my midwife had had that training yeah. or not. Yeah, that's interesting. Like yeah. I, I, I just walked in to that process going, we're cool here. There's nothing – and it did give me a sense of security going in. Yeah. Midwives are great, but – I don't know if it's because I just kept telling myself they've probably sat down and listened to Jackson. They're all good now. <laughs> yes, well, <coughs> that would be lovely to think. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the other part of what I do is the training of service providers and midwives and a lot of work with maternal child health yeah. nurses, but very broadly across way, um, health and human services. You know, and what I find is that the vast majority of people are completely supportive. They just feel like they're a bit at sea. And they, they worry about saying the wrong thing, about causing offence, about putting their foot in it, and they just don't know enough. Mm. Um, but they're actually pretty okay. And what I find is at the end of, you know, a couple of hours or a half a day, they feel really confident. It's relieved some of that anxiety. And they, they don't need to know everything there is to know about us, but they just feel like they know a little bit and they feel like they know how they can ask, mm. what they can ask and what they can't ask or where they can go and get more information. And that makes a huge difference. So I think in terms of service provision, I think hopefully, not just from my work, but from a whole host of uh, you know work that different people are doing, that people are getting a more inclusive mm. and culturally safe service. Mm. But still... Still, you hear terrible oh, stories. I've got one um, I need to send across for training. I just yeah, but she was yeah. a you know a filling for the day. And, That's right. But you know. 95% of my experience mm. has been hugely positive. And I think that's really interesting. I used to have these conversations with Rodney Chan Cruz. Yeah. He was like, you know, head gay dad. And still is, I Still is, yeah. <laughs> and he would say the same, that the response from the people in our lives, in our communities, so our the kids' teachers, the neighbours, even the, you know, the people in the shops on the high street, the sports coaches, the, all of those people actually respond very positively to us. You know, and we live in Kew, right? It's <laughs> not, it's not, you know, queer central. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. You know the demographic. Yes. Um, and people have been, you know, been there for 20 years or whatever, have uniformly been extremely positive, notwithstanding my melt down walking up the high street putting up yes posters that's, that's a story for that's, another time yes jack you've also recently um produced another guide which is for trans and gender diverse parents yes. where did that come from oh, i love that one i love that one well what happened was with the original guide your guide is huge you can access all of it and Still separate online. sections from my website and as I say, periodically I will post parts of it. But in terms of actual hard copies, we don't have hard copies because there's no funding. Um, so a while back, Rainbow Families in New South Wales got in contact with me and they said, look, we keep getting asked to produce some resources. And you've already done it. it you know, there's no point in reinventing mm. the wheel. It's all there. It's great stuff. So what they decided, they had some funding, is that we would reproduce some of the content in those in the original um, Outspoken Families resource uh, in smaller themed resources, small books. So we started with, um, and you know, I think we called them... Was what, it the early years? Early years yep. support guide. Yep. 
and then the school, school support one. guide. Yep. So that was two. So mostly it was content from the original one, but we also added the last one, added some new content, including some stuff for transparents because there's nothing in the original mm. one because of the time. And then they, they have some transparents on their board. And so we thought about, okay, maybe we could do something for transparents. And so what I did was to... Uh, to make contact with, I think in the end there were eight parents and it ended up four were sort of Sydney and based and one a little bit further out and four down here. And same process, I conducted over the phone after, you know, connecting with them and having a bit of a conversation, these quite lengthy, detailed interviews. Um, and then on the basis of that, I wrote up some staff and I, and I gave them some questions and they sent that back. And originally each piece was going to be, you know, a thousand words or something. And, and what I got back was 6,000 words wow. of, of detailed um, lived experience of what it's like to be a trans person and a transparent. So then it was a kind of an editing process. This so is hard. This is yeah, this, yeah, this hard. was huge. This was huge. And these were huge personal complex difficult stories um you know well, I, you need the subtext and you need the backstory yeah that's right you do to... you do and, and I, I literally I would get off the phone and I would go see Sarah and just go you you know I, I cannot believe the complexities and the difficulties of some yeah. people's lives like you know we're cruising yeah mm. um so then I put together those uh eight stories edited those there was some funding from ACON in Sydney, awesome. and so they wanted something kind of health-related. So I did a, an interview with a GP who works with trans folk up in Sydney, and that was really good. So it had a bit of, bit, a little bit of uh, factual information. And it was launched in Sydney a few months ago, and then we had a launch at Hairs and Hyenas yeah, with nice. four of the parents, and it was absolutely fab. Uh, I asked Jeremy Wiggins, who's a trans man, dad, and LGBTI person of the year, to launch it for me. And Jeremy told a couple of extremely hilarious stories, which just set this lovely tone. And then our four parents talked about their experience. And it was about, I don't know, 20 people in the audience, mm. you know, but it was absolutely fantastic. Some real good connections. Mm. And then at the end, I was trying to get all my stuff back to the car and like, trying to get someone to give me a lift and they're all absolutely going at it 10 to the, 10 to the dozen. Um, and I think by the end of the evening, they'd worked out, they were setting up a Facebook group for this and for that and the partners were connecting because there's very little for partners, mm, partners yeah. who want to maintain the relationship. So it was a really lovely, affirming night with some you know, unexpected positive outcomes as well. Because I imagine there's some um, challenges that are very specific to trans and gender diverse parents that perhaps other parents in the yep. rainbow wouldn't experience. That is absolutely right. Um, and a number of the parents that are interviewed transitioned while they had kids. Mm. Okay. And obviously that, you know, that's a huge challenge. So what we tried to explore was how do you do that? Um, how do you look after the parent and how do you look after the kid and how do you talk to kids of different ages mm. in a way that's age appropriate about a transitioning parent uh, and that's huge. It's, it's huge, that's huge and what are the consequences of that and so that is something that we explored 
in the resource and the parents I spoke with were were just incredibly courageous but also you know very open and honest and talked about well you know for for my youngest they were very young that was okay um, the oldest one has been fine the middle one there's been lots of challenges there and what they they might have been like so um, you know that that's a very that's a very core part of the of the book I think because that's what parents worry about you know what we know about trans folk trans parents is what they're worried about is other people mm-hmm. they're worried about the kids they're worried about their partner um, so that's very central to the resource the other one that I really love is a story Al's story who's a trans dad who gave birth to his daughter and you just got to read it I can't I can't summarize it but it's a really lovely positive affirming story and we'll put a link to that so yeah very easy Jack I guess I'm it's right to say that the and I don't want to say acceptance because I hate that word but um for want of a better word, the acceptance of rainbow families has got a lot better. What do we still need to work on? What are the challenges that are still there, do you think? Look, I think that we are not in a good place here right now, globally, but in, you know, Melbourne, we're good, better, Um, Victoria, but, you know, federally, we're not in a good place. And I think that the... The Postal Survey and the Marriage Equality Campaign had massive lasting impact, not just on everybody's mental health, but on the fact that it did provide a platform for people to say what they like and that was okay. And that's being extended now with the Religious Freedoms Mm. Bill. Uh, So big picture stuff. I think there's some huge challenges. And I think, yes, you're right that in general, uh, on a day-to-day basis, things are much better. I think things like kinders and schools and uh, maternal child health and um because yeah that's right um so it depends on where you are though interestingly one of the things i expected when i did the resource was that people who were in more regional and remote areas would um tell me stories about how it was worse and actually they didn't Mm. what they told me was that it's about connecting with the community and if you're involved in your community that's what people care about. Yeah. And so that was really interesting. But absolutely, there are areas that are better and worse. Um, so I think, yes, there's a lot of work to be done. And I think that is around every encounter that you have as a family with kids, you know, you might engage with, that you, you engage with dozens of different people all the time I think there was a piece that I wrote way back and I thought I think the kids were one and I wrote a list of all the broadly medical practitioners that we had engaged with uh, you know health and human services and I think it came to like 12 or something Mm. you know it was huge Um, so I think that's where work needs to be done because I think there are pockets um, better and worse and um, and and a lot of potential there to to as I say I don't think it takes a lot but uh, that's where we need to do some more work one of the things I think from a I guess external perspective and I and I find that a lot of people 
want to be good allies and they want to, you know, they want to do the right thing. But I think one of the things that I've probably had more of an insight to being at Joy and, you know, with my work and my involvement is that I think a lot of people who are not in the community celebrated marriage equality as such a fabulous thing, which, I mean, like I'm not dismissing that. But I think a lot of people have missed the real exposure that that gave to rainbow families and missed the real negativity that that brought yeah, out. Right. And I think that's something I think people need to understand a bit more that just because marriage equality passed doesn't mean everything's okay. No, no that's right. I mean, it's huge. I think there – I know that there are still community advocates and – all of us who are still reeling mm-hmm. from the impact of that. And I think in relation to families, I was uh, I, I use this picture in the training I do and it's the sky riding sign yeah. no mm-hmm. in Melbourne. And that was at lunchtime on our whatever, Tuesday I think. So all the kids were out in the playground and they saw that and my kids came home and told me about it and so we had to kind of debrief about what mm. the other kids had said and because there was that really strong focus on the family and on kids I think that was massively massively difficult for our community and we were all trying desperately to protect our kids and that was not possible mm. um, if they were really little you were probably okay but otherwise if they're in kinder or school or older then there were huge challenges. And I think, you know, my kids were involved in that campaign from from DOT and they're pretty resilient and that really helped. But I remember being at the start of it at an event at Northcote Town Hall and lots of families were there and the kids were playing next door and just looking over at them and thinking that, you know, we were in a room with ferociously protective parents Mm. but I just wasn't sure how we were going to be able to do that it was lovely when we got to interview the kids for for this episode it was one of the best episodes we've ever done Mm. it still gets hits and it still makes me emotional listening to it the hardest thing and listening to it the bits that I know I struggle to because I was in the room where the parents were sitting to the side yeah and you can't hear you can't see that and you can't hear that Mm. on radio but I can still remember those parents and how they're reacting to listen to their children you know standing up and having to advocate Mm, and it's like this is the the one thing they don't want them to do and Nicole Lord was in part of the interview where she's talking about the article that Nina wrote and and even um her son um Caspian kind of talking about that as well and you could see she was immensely proud but so frightened that her child has to do this. Why should my child have to defend their family? Like yeah. it was just, it was that and for me it, I don't think I've still recovered from that period because the worry that came with it was because I knew so many of those kids and I remember I came back to the studio after the announcement to grab my yeah. material. We'd done breakfast radio mm. that morning. And somebody asked me, you know, how do you, you know, how do you feel? And I broke down because I was visualizing those kids mm. that all, what, 17 kids we met. And I was like, thank God there is a conversation that doesn't have to happen at dinner tonight. Yeah. 
that and I was like, oh, thank God. You know, there are parents that are going to be able to sleep tonight because mm. they were all, all the kids were just like, of course it's going to pass. Like you're all yeah, mad. That's right. that's and right. I wish I could have had that hope and enthusiasm mm. that they did, but it petrified me and that hasn't, that hasn't left. No, nor me. <laughs> so we decided to go to the State Library for the announcement but we made that decision quite late on because when the campaign started, I said to Sarah, we can't be with the kids anywhere mm. with other people if it's no. Mm. Because we cannot be with 5,000 people in a state of despair with the kids. Mm. So we had decided that we would um, they'd just go to school and we would uh, manage it. And then as it got closer to the time and we became a little bit more confident that we would win... Um, we, we started to shift on that. And then the week before I was walking to school with Scout and she said, she said, Mum, I want us all to be together Aww. when mm. the vote is heard. Uh, she said, I don't want to be at school. We should be together as a family. And I said, yep, yeah, absolutely right. So <laughs> then we... I oh, know, that gets me emotional. I know, it gets me that. too. So then we donned our, you know, Love Makes a Family <laughs> t-shirts, all five of us on the tram with, with Declan, uh, a friend, a young friend. Um, and we went to the, to the State Library for the vote. Um, I mean, and you know how incredibly, phenomenally yes. stressful it was. And um, how bad we all are at maths when they gave the stats before they gave the results, and everyone's yeah, kind of right. looking at each other. Yeah, they going, really should have done that a different way. I know. I know. And, and the Numeracy. thing is, right before the right before they were about to do the vote, Corin had nicked off to the to the readings oh. bookshop, <laughs> and so I'm texting Sarah, "Where's Corin? What's happening?" And I I'm shaking. I can't yeah. text because I'm shaking so hard. Um, and so when it finally was announced. Um, you know, there was an, a nanosecond of joy and then there was relief. Yeah. Mm. And I say to people all the time, what you saw there was not joy and happiness. What no. you saw there was relief, yes. which then turned into, you know. Mine's anger Mass story. Yeah, and my, I think my, what's lingered for me is anger. How dare they? How mm. dare – like I'm getting reminders now of when we did those poster runs. Yeah, and I time. And, you know, we had a Facebook post in our community because we live in the same area and I was trying to put up positive images to encourage other people to do it. It was hell. Mm. I hated that I had to walk. I, there were businesses I was still not walking into yeah, to this day because of – what happened then mm. we're still mm. it's still and so it's I the think kids it, changed yeah so that I think it was discourse. you know it was very positive for yeah. the kids and I think um you know for our kids who we walked down our aisle when we got married with Corin as a baby he was 10 months old and then he was you know 15 when this passed so it was his whole life you know and there was some there were some moments where I felt okay we're you know we've we've done an okay job here um you know Corin appeared one evening while I was in the kitchen and uh he just said mama he said um I said I've got something to tell you he said I'm gonna drop out of school uh, I'm gonna start smoking and drinking and taking drugs um and I'm gonna get in trouble with the police and I'm gonna end up in prison with a drug addiction and it's all your fault <laughs> And I said, buddy, that, that doesn't sound like you. He said, no, 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 look, I've got this flyer. It says here on this flyer, that's what's going to happen. And he said, it's because I'm being raised by two homosexuals. 
And I said, okay, Betty. All right, thanks. Oh, I love it. So, you know, at least uh, <laughs> he was old enough and had been around enough that, but, but, but other, that there are some other awful stories of, yeah. um, of, you know, I know kids saying, if we lose, um, if we lose, will they, will they take me away from you? Oh. If we lose, will you have to go to prison? Oh. And yeah. It, the the children thing made us more vulnerable in a way yeah, that I don't absolutely. think we can actually express, and it's more than that mama bear syndrome of wanting to protect mm. your brood. It's just yeah, uh, it was bad. Yeah, it was bad. What's <sighs> next, Jack? What's next? Well, on the family front, I am finally publishing my book, another book, which <laughs> I'm self-publishing by choice. I feel like you always have to say that. Because um, in the old days, you know, it used to be called vanity publishing, and yeah. if you didn't get a publisher. You <laughs> no one else it wanted it. That's yeah, right. that is not the case. Um, so I did a crowdfund for this a long time ago. It's uh, the Curse of Grandma Maple, and um, what I wanted to do was to write something in which my family was represented. So my kids, as I said, all quite old now, have been reading since prep, and they have never read a book that features a rainbow family, mm. two mums. There are lots of now lovely, fabulous preschool books, the picture books. But once you get past that, you know, chapter books, then into novels, mm. and there are YA books now, young adult books with, with queer characters. But rainbow families, um, certainly I keep looking and I have not seen any. So I long, long, long ago... <laughs> It is a long story. I had this idea of writing a a mystery adventure. So Sarah is Canadian from Toronto and her family have what's called a cottage. It's a big thing in Canada, a lake house. And when the kids were little, we would go and, you know, it's it's beautiful. It's this fabulous spot and you can go out in your canoes and it's just, it's idyllic. And I, I remember one day thinking about how it would be when they were older and they could go off independently and what, you know, what fun, how I'd want to go, but they wouldn't want me to, you know, come with them. <laughs> um, and so I started writing a book, a story, and that turned into The Curse of Grandma Maple, which is a mystery adventure story for probably upper primary, I'm thinking mm-hmm. 8 to 12, where the kids just coincidentally happen to have two mums nice so it's two families australian family canadian family so the cousins um and the uh, australian family spend a summer um at the cottage and uh and the mums are there being you know just as annoying drinking tea holding hands (laughs) other parents that's right uh so that is finally in its final throes and i will be launching that in november um, and I will put it out everywhere, and uh, hopefully we'll have we'll have a nice big splash, and it will be available on the day there, and people will be able to buy it from my website. And I will also be carting around boxes to wherever I go to Perfect distribute Christmas. as well. Yeah, so Cully, the, all the kids have read it and given me feedback. Cully is, is great because <laughs> she's my target audience, so she's already read quite a recent draft and is, as we speak, at home. Um, reading a final, final draft, hopefully, probably a little bit of tweaking. Uh, and she did read it in one go, in one wow. sitting, which I thought, That's okay, right. that was a good sign. Mm. So um, I think it works. 
illustrative illustrations yeah throughout. well um so i have it's like a kind of the, the old-fashioned one so each chapter will have a small illustration of something that gives a clue to what happens in the oh. chapter and my cover is a lovely cover that i use for the crowdfund uh by matt glover and it's a beautiful bright got a lot of energy um so that will be the cover so what i did yeah way back i crowdfunded to so that i could pay everybody to do this so i feel like it's a bit of a community project as well awesome well we can't wait to read it jack thank you for that thank you for everything else you put out there um for rainbow families and thank you very much for chatting with us thank you it's been a lot of fun Family Matters, brought to you by Joy Sponsor, Nichols Family Lawyers. Family law advice for the LGBTI community you can trust. NicholsLaw.com.au Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast, brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.